We're starting this uh, new series uh, called Be Still, and we're going to take the words of Psalm 46 and see if we can actually begin to apply them uh, into our life so that, that it becomes an impactful thing, that it actually begins to, to, to do something, it begins to change us. And, and my guess is the reason, well, the reason why we're doing this is because I'm guessing that we are reaching epidemic levels of inability to be still. That as a culture, and, and we are a part of this culture, that we struggle with worrying about a lot of things and then we get distracted with everything else. I want to start by telling you a story. That, I don't know if you're familiar with the circuit riders of the, of the Methodist church, but in the 1700s, 1800s, uh, there were these preachers and they would ride horses and uh, there would be all of these rural churches uh, across the, the land, and, and they didn't have enough preachers for each of the churches. And so these circuit riders would get on a horse, and they would spend all day riding to each of the churches, and they would preach a, preach a message at the church, and they would pastor these rural communities. And, and this one time, this preacher, the circuit rider, uh, was riding along, and he was on his way to another church, and he sees a farmer out in his field, and he says to the farmer, wanting to kind of engage him in conversation and to invite him to church, he says to him, hey, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful day out, isn't it? And the farmer responds to him and says, well, yeah, it's a beautiful day for you because all you're doing is riding a horse thinking about God. He said, for me, I'm working in a field tirelessly, sweating, and then when I'm done, I've got to walk home. And, and so the Circuit writer said, well, you're absolutely right that you do work hard in the fields, and I admire that, but he said, you, you need to realize that the work that I do is, uh, the kind of work I do is a little bit different. And, and just I'll pause for a moment in my story and say that nothing's really changed because I still get these comments like, you just work on Sunday, right? That's all you do is you just come on Sundays, preach a message, and then you, know, you just think about God all day long. Um, that's not true, but in this case, he says, yeah, you, the kind of work that I'm doing is a different kind of work, and the farmer says, yeah, sure, but, but it's not really work. He said, all you do is ride around thinking about God all the time. That's not hard, and the preacher said, well, it's harder than you think, and he says, in fact, I'll prove it to you. He said, I'll tell you what, just to prove how difficult it is to think about God, he says, if you could think about God for 60 seconds, for one minute, if all you do is just think about God, then I will give you my horse. And the farmer says, you got to be kidding me. No way. That's not, you're not going to do that. He said, absolutely. If you can think, for, think about God for one minute, I'll give you my horse. So the farmer says, you're on. Sits down in his field. He's quietly sitting there, and 10 seconds goes by. 20 seconds, 25 seconds. And right about 25 seconds, he looks up at the preacher and says, is the saddle included in that? <laughs> All he had to do for 60 seconds is shut his mouth, not say anything, and he would have a horse. Why is it so difficult for us to just shut our mouths and be still? 
Think about how we start off our day. Many of us, before we even roll out of bed, will open up our phones and we'll go through our emails that we got the previous night before, most of which are just sales things. But we'll go through our emails and then we'll go through our text messages and return any text messages that we need to return. And then following that, we'll get on the gram, we'll get on the Facebook, and we'll start do, you know, posting things, checking out how everybody's life is better than ours. And then eventually we will roll out of bed because our kids are up, we got to get them ready for school, and we move, we move into our day. And it's busy. The news is telling us what to worry about. I get this notification from my news app that that tells me all of the things that I need to be worrying about this week. It tells me all of the problems that are going on in our world. And, And so when I start my week off, I start out anxious because I'm pretty sure the end of the world is happening. And then if I'm not anxious about the news that's happening this week, I get all of these ads that come up, all of these distractions, these videos. Have you ever, you know, clicked on a Facebook video and then like two hours later, you're just scrolling through videos and it's about cats and stupid things. And it's like, and all of a sudden you realize I have just wasted a portion of my day. They estimate that uh, our, in our current culture, we will see between five and 10,000 advertisements a day. The average 40 years ago, you know, during the Mad Men time, was 500. And those guys were working hard to pump out the advertisements and to get it out there. And, and I don't even know how we can handle five to 10,000 pieces of information a day. On average, we spend over 10 hours a day in front of a screen, whether it be a phone, a TV, a computer that includes being in front of your computer at work, if that's part of your job. Apple says that, uh, and we have an Apple genius in our church, so I, I made sure that this was true. Apple said that we unlock our phones Uh, up to 80 times a day where we engage in what's called a smartphone session. Is that true? Maybe? Yeah, okay. 40 of those unlocks are during work hours. On average, we spend in excess of four and a half hours on our smartphones. And here's an interesting fact about us being on our smartphones is that in this room, nine out of every 10 of you, like if if we just were to count out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then you're the 10th, that, that all nine of you take your smartphone in, into the toilet. <laughs> nine out of 10 take their phone to the bathroom. And you're laughing because you know it's true. You're a little disgusted by it, but you're only disgusted by it if you're the one. The rest of you do it and are pretending like you're the one, but you're actually one of the nine. So what that means is this thing that we used to call the rest room isn't even that. It's not even the restroom because we're returning emails and text messages while we're supposed to be resting. (laughs) 
Oftentimes, we'll wake up in the middle of the night in order to use the restroom, and we will check our email and take our phone with us, and we'll get an email or a text from somebody at our work who has no idea what it means to sleep, and so they're sending messages at 1 a.m., about things that are going to happen the next day, and you find yourself going back to bed at 2 a.m. thinking about the things that have just been sent to you and how you're going to respond and how you're going to deal with it. We live in a world where it is difficult to be still. I don't think we even know how. Think about the difference that it was 30 years ago, to be a human in this world. When I was a kid growing up, I tell my parents this all the time, that uh, they had it easy as pastors. Uh, and, and by easy, I mean, like, it was really easy, obviously. But, but it was easier because when I was growing up, we had this, this phone that was attached to a wall. And it had this, this cord that it was attached to. And so you, could all, you couldn't take it in the bathroom unless, of course, you had a phone in the bathroom, which meant you were rich and <laughs> disgusting at the same time. But, but you had this phone, and it has a cord on it. And sometimes, if you were wealthy enough to have it, it had this other line that came out of it to this little box that had a cassette tape on it. And it was called an answering machine. And when I was growing up, when somebody was calling in the midst of their crisis, they had a choice. They could not answer their phone and just let the machine pick it up. And here's the thing is the reason why they could do that is because nobody actually knew if they were home. However, fast forward a few years and everybody knows that this is in my pocket. Everybody knows that you have access to the people that you're trying to get a hold of 24-7. I remember one time uh, in years and years ago in pastoring this church, we had a gentleman who was, uh, who was in an accident, a motorcycle accident. And, uh, and all night, so m- my first name, if you don't know this, is David, uh, which is my dad's name. Uh, my middle name is Ryan, and so I go by Ryan. Shocking to everybody, right? Uh, I go by Ryan, and, and so in the phone book, on my driver's license, in every piece of information, my first name is David. And so all night, the police were trying to find David Coffee, and my parents didn't live here at the time. And I wake up on a Saturday morning to an officer at my door wondering where in the world I've been. I went down to the hospital. Unfortunately, the man uh, that was in the accident passed away. And his wife was so angry at me because she couldn't get a hold of me. Because the expectation is that we are accessible all the time. We don't know how to be still, how to be silent. And if we're being honest... I think we would realize that this isn't really an electronics problem, right? It's not his fault. It's actually her because Siri, you know. It's not her fault that 
that I can't be still. This isn't, this isn't an electronic problem. It's, it's a problem of the fact that we feel like if we don't return emails, if we don't return text messages, if we're not in the loop, if we're not in the know or on the gram, then guess what? The world that we know will stop rotating because we believe that we are the center of the universe and that if somehow we stop looking at our email or stop returning text messages or stop, then all of a sudden everything that we know to be true will just collapse. But if we're being honest, the reality is this this isn't just an electronics problem, although it's not helping us. This isn't even a distraction problem. This is a heart problem. This is about our relationship with God. This is about whether or not we believe that being still before the Lord and being in his presence and carving out that time is important to us. It's the same struggle that the disciples had in Mark chapter 14. In the account of Mark in verse 33, Jesus takes uh, with him Peter, James, and John. And he begins to be greatly distressed and troubled. This is the point. This is the story of Jesus going and he's praying in the garden and he's, uh, he's sweating blood and all this. And he says to these three guys, he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. He says, I want you guys to remain here. Just stay right here and watch. And some translations say watch and pray. Some accounts of the gospel say watch and pray. And Jesus then goes and prays. And he goes and he's praying. And it says in verse 37, he came and found them sleeping. And he he says to to Peter, and interestingly, Mark addresses Peter in the story. If you look at Luke's account, Luke says, and Jesus says to the disciples. In other words, they were all sleeping. Mark didn't like Peter, so he throws him under the bus and just, just talks about Peter. He says, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch like one hour. Could you not pray one hour? And he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knows that Peter is going to be tempted to deny him. In just hours, Peter is going to make a choice. And Jesus is saying, why won't you just take some time and pray? so that you're prepared in those moments of weakness of your flesh. Jesus, again, in verse 39, he went away, he prays, saying the same words. And again, he came and he found them sleeping, and their eyes were very heavy and they didn't know what to answer him. And then in verse 41, he comes a third time, and he says to them, are you guys still sleeping and taking your rest and he said, enough, just let's go. And, and you have to believe that Jesus is a little bit annoyed. I mean, I would be a little bit annoyed. He wouldn't hate his disciples, but he's probably frustrated. Because here he is, he's saying, I know what's good for you. I know what's healthy for you. I know what's right. Could you not just for a moment be still and spend time with your heavenly father? I think what it really boils down to is that we don't actually think we need to be still. We don't don't actually think that we, we need it in our life, and yet the presence of God, if we want the presence of God in our work, in our life, in our homes, 
that if we want the presence of God to be with us, how could it be possible if yet we were not able to spend some time with him? So let's take a look at the theme verse from Psalm 46. I want us to look at the verses before it. I want to look at the verse after it. And then we'll look at the theme verse. It starts in verse 1 of chapter 46. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open to it. If you have your phones, don't open them right now. It's what we're talking about. You can. You can open your phone. Open the Bible app. I'm reading it from a screen. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then it says in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And then he ends in verse 11, he says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalmist bookmarks or, or bookends this, these verses with beginning with God is our refuge and he is our strength. He, in the midst of trouble, he's our help. That's what he tells us. And then he ends with this idea that The God of Jacob is our fortress. He, again, is our refuge. He is our place in which there is safety. And right there in the middle, it says, be still and know that I am God. Instead of trying to figure it out on your own, trying to white-knuckle this thing and get through life and make things work and make this happen and do this, just be still and recognize that God is our refuge. And our strength. The Hebrew definition is of still is to stop striving, to let go, to surrender. And so it says, be still and know that I am God. And after God, or after the psalmist affirms the fact that God can be trusted, even in the midst of, of mountains giving way, even in the midst of the most chaotic situation or circumstance. The psalmist calls each of us to stop striving, stop trying to fix it on our own, and just be still. But as long as we're busy, as long as we're we're just doing and working out of our own strength and trying to make things happen in our own ability, we cannot hear the voice of God speaking to us. And I would argue that it is in the silence that it's the most profound. We're supposed to have easy answers when people are going through difficult times. When your coworker or your friends are dealing with the divorce or dealing with the diagnosis or whatever it is that they're going through, the reality is is that we're supposed to have the answers. And in reality, we often don't. When Job's three friends came to see him, they were so shocked that they sat in silence for seven days. Sat in silence for seven days. We can't sit in silence for seven minutes. For seven days. But listen, it was only when they started talking that they got into trouble. 
be still in the presence of God our maker. To be willing to say, God, I'm going to let you be God. I'm going to let you pour into me, and I'm going to just rest in your presence. The problem is, is that if we're being honest with ourselves, at least if I'm being honest, there are moments where we don't believe that he is enough. That we don't believe that God is everything that we need him to be. A few weeks ago, shared another psalm with you where it says that you are my lot, you are my portion. And the reality is, is that I think if we're being honest, we're, we don't really believe that he is our lot, that he's our portion, that he's everything that we need. And so because we don't believe that, we busy ourselves with everything that we think we need to do in order to provide for us, in order to, uh, to, to fix things and to fix problems and to, to fix the situation. And, and what happens is, is we don't ever let him just be him. We don't believe he's enough. We stay busy with good intended things. And yet we find ourselves with little to no time to be with him. Maybe the greatest picture that we can see in scripture is from Luke chapter 10. It's in verse 38, and as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And the Lord answered her, he said, you know what, Martha, you're absolutely right. Mary is lazy. She's not helping you out. There's dishes to do. He's like, Mary, get in there and help your sister out. Have a bias towards action. Go do something. And then when you're done, you can come back and I'll still be here. He doesn't say that. He looks at Martha and he says, Martha, Whatever it is you're busying yourself with, whatever you got going on, and listen, it's her house, so she's probably just hosted a bunch of people. She's got dishes to do. She's got things to clean up. She's trying to be a good host. And, and so that she, out of good intention, she's serving her master. And what he says is, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you're troubled about many things, but one, one thing is necessary. And Mary figured it out. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Our hearts must flow out of the posture that Mary had. The posture that says, listen, that stuff, it's going to be there. Work, it's going to be there. School, it's going to be there. The stuff of this life they are going to always be there and they come rushing into our lives every single day. And the question is, is will we take the posture of Mary and say, all of that stuff can just wait. I want to sit at the feet of Jesus and be still. I want to hear what my master has to say. 
The truth is, is you do have to provide for your family. You do have to go to work. You do have to go to school. You do have to get your children to everywhere they got to go. Not everywhere. They Some of the things you don't have to do, but you do it. But the question is, and they're good things. The question is, is have we neglected the one thing that he asks of us? To be still and to know that he's God. When God says be still, it's not a stillness of inactivity, although it includes that. It's, it's not a, a stillness when, when things are going great, but it's also a stillness even in the midst of despair. So often we, we simply just don't understand why God does what he does. Our, our knowledge will often be incomplete. We don't get it. We don't understand it. And yet I would say in saying that, we also confess the trust that we trust in the purposes of God, that we trust who he is, that God is working those things out. That even in the worst things that can happen in this world, we are to be still and know. The stillness is actually what leads to knowing. It's what, what gives us some insight and perspective into who God is. It's precisely why when we admit that we don't know, we are probably most likely to learn something. I think one of the most spiritual things that we can do is say, I have no idea. I don't know. Because the confession of our weakness is when we admit that we don't know and we are most likely able to learn something. I talk too much uh, not that that's any big surprise to you. I, I talk too much when people are hurting and when people are going through difficult times and I want to fix their problem. I'm a fixer. My wife will tell you that. I like to f fix when something doesn't work right. And sometimes it's easy for me to, to want to fix people instead of just saying, I don't know. But let's just be still before the Lord and hear from him. In silence, we learn. In silence, we begin to understand. In silence, we start to get a glimpse and to know who God is. Our temptation is that when we hear a message like this is to feel guilt and shame because there's probably truth to the statistics of all of our phones and the reality is, is this isn't a, a slap on the wrist to say you need to get off your phones or any of that. If, if you're feeling shame, you shouldn't feel shame unless you're one of the nine that are taking your phone into the bathroom. Then, then you should feel shame. I'm one of the nine, by the way, and, and just because you're sitting there, yeah, it's like our whole church is filled with the one, right? The, the, the ten in, in all of the nines, yeah. Unless you don't own a phone and then therefore... Uh, you're probably the 10. This isn't intended to make us feel bad. I am, however, convinced that, that it was foreknown that phones would be a part of our culture. 
And, and I knew, that, and, I, and I, I sensed that, that there was going to be this prophetic word that was given to us about how evil they are. Psalm 37, 7, if you don't believe me, it says, Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries around evil devices. <laughs> he knew. The psalmist knew that this was evil. I actually changed the word. It actually says carries out evil devices. We have to decide, does, does being still before the Lord, do, is, is doing the one thing that he asks us and being in his presence, is, does that matter to us? Does it matter more to us than, than this? Does it matter more to us than all of the things that we busy ourselves doing? I think part of the reason we are afraid to be still and be quiet is because we're going to have to face the reality of how we're living our life. Is it possible for us to abstain from the worry and the distraction and just be still and know that he is God? had this thought that, that maybe, and just as I, I haven't even unlocked my phone and I have a notification of news reminding us that the Kardashian West family dressed up as the Flintstones for Halloween. <laughs> That's important for us to know. It's an important distraction. And if you think I'm kidding, I'm not kidding. Like it literally just popped up on my phone. And people are floored by this unsettling Photoshop job. The reason why I actually turn my phone on without trying to unlock it is because, let's see if I can get rid of, nope. Is because I thought it'd be kind of an interesting exercise, social exercise, to challenge all of us if this is a problem for us. For some of you, this is not a problem. For some of you, you still have flip phones, and that's great. I, honestly, I, I, I've thought about it. But we have this, this graphic, this be still graphic, and I thought, I, thought, I wonder if, if we could take all of the distractions and all of the things that bring worry to us, whether it's your news app, whether it's your Facebook, or whether it's your Instagram, whatever the case, and you were to lump all of those into a box if you have an iPhone and, and put on the box distraction or worry, and then you move it about four pages uh, on your phone. And if you don't know how to do this, uh, we have lots of young people around here. Roman will help you out after service. He'll help you figure it out on your phone. And just, just for a week, just test what it would do to your life. And then for this moment in time, for now until, uh, until you're dismissed today, you have permission from me, not that you need it, but to go on Facebook and you can save that image on your wallpaper like that. So that every time of the 80 times that you pull your phone out, you're reminded to be still. 
Because I think it has become a habit. I think it's become a part of our addiction to just, to just reach. And we say, well, I'm just checking, just checking the time. No, you're not. You're, you might be checking the time, but when as soon as you hold it up like this, it unlocks me to a world of red bubbles and Facebook videos. And all of a sudden, two hours have gone by. And then I wonder... Why didn't I have enough time to spend with God today? Why didn't I have enough time to just be still? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's the news. Maybe it's your Netflix binging. Everybody knows that Jack Ryan dropped, and you, so you're just binging stuff. And it's like there's, just, there's things to watch and things to do, and, and none of that is what God's called us to do. Could we take just a week and see how it begins to change our life when we eliminate worry, eliminate distraction, and we just for a moment are still before the Lord? It'd be pretty lame of me to, to talk about being still and then not give you the opportunity to do it. And so with no music playing, everybody silence their phones that are distracting you, we're just going to take one minute, and we're going to be still before the Lord. One minute. Sixty seconds. How many of you had a is the saddle included moment? How many of you thought in your sixty seconds, I I, I gotta get back home, I got some chores to do around the house, I gotta get the house clean before the week, we gotta get shopping done. That work week's gonna be crazy this week. I got some travel plan and I got I gotta get all this done before I go. See, it's so easy for us in the midst of our silence, in the midst of being still, to be continually distracted. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen when all of a sudden, you know, you decide today, okay, I'm going to start being still, and all of those things are going to go away. This is going to take time. It requires discipline to continue to step into this, to to continue to walk this out in your life and to, to carve out just moments 
for the Lord, to hear his voice. Some of you are saying, I've never, I don't even know what the voice of God sounds like. It's because you've never been still to hear his voice. Never been still long enough to hear his voice. You say, well, is it an audible voice? It's a still small voice. It's a still small voice that is unmistakably the Lord. But we live in a noise-polluted world that we couldn't hear him even if we wanted to. Let's pray.